Super early bird tickets from Umbrella 360 are selling fast. With less than 100 tickets available, grab yours now and save over $1,000. Head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash Mumbrella360 to book your super early bird tickets to Australia's largest media and marketing conference. And we'll see you at Mumbrella360 from the 20th, 21st of July at Hilton Sydney next year. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and this is the 201st episode of the Mumbrella Cast, no less. And from now on, I'm going to stop counting. Breaking down a rather hectic week in media and marketing this week, Umbrella senior reporter Emma Shepherd. Hello, hello. For the first time on the pod, it's uh, my great pleasure to welcome reporter Anna McDonald. Hello. And he's gracing us with his presence today. He's brought the weather with him. Thank you so much, Callum Jasmine. I haven't stopped sweating since I got. Lovely, thank you for that, mate. Does that smell you as well, mate? Just no, the that, sweat. I think you brought that in yourself. <laughs> no, that is probably me. Later on in the Mumbrella cast, I'm going to be chatting to car expert founder and acting CEO, Alvors Falar. After covering the establishment of the automotive media outlet in Best of the Week uh, last Saturday, we've got a detailed interview with him on how he and his co-founders, Anthony Crawford and Paul Merrick, came to create Car Expert. Uh, in it, we'll cover the founders' thoughts on drive being chosen over car advice as the brand to back. And then for it to no longer exist, that concept really didn't sit right with me. And I think it didn't sit right with a lot of other people as well, because we felt like we'd built this amazing business and this amazing brand uh, with so much trust, so much audience, um, and so much heritage, you know, that despite what may have been said otherwise, it had a lot of good heritage. How the Seven West Media Partnership came to be. I think the, the intro would have happened um, at some point along the way. I'm pretty sure we actually reached out to them before we even had a website and they kindly told us to uh, come back at a later point in time, <laughs> to put it bluntly. And why the trio didn't just take the money and walk away? Um, it was never about money. I think that's the bit that people uh, sometimes misunderstand. Look, it's, it's very nice to get a very large check um, and buy lots of cars, which is certainly what I've done, um, because I love cars, you know, but ultimately for me, I loved what I did at Car Advice. I genuinely, I woke up every day and I was excited to work. It's an interesting one because there's been a lot of talk, conjecture, arguments around the industry about the establishment uh, of the brand. Uh, but on a slightly different note, a bit of a heads up on that one that the recording of it from our end wasn't so good. Being the tech expert that I am, I managed to get the roadcaster to connect to my laptop via a rather compromised Bluetooth connection. So apologies for that, but Alwars sounds uh, mighty fine. Moving swiftly on, Cal, the week's news topics. We're going to dive into the Radio Ratings Survey 7 that dropped on Tuesday, which was a welcome return to its normal day after number 6 fell on our podcast record day on a Thursday, which is tricky for us. But uh, And also, after a number of Christmas campaigns launching this week, we'll recap what has launched, how the market is approaching Christmas campaigns after lockdowns. On Tuesday, GFK released Radio Ratings Survey 7 in a round which produced results somewhat similar to Rating 6 just over a month ago. 
as the majority of the books still fell within Melbourne and Sydney extended lockdowns. Both markets saw only minor change with Talkback still in charge. Cal, you spoke to Nine's Director of Content for Radio, Greg Burns. Was he able to add any spice to the otherwise fairly uneventful book? Um, I wouldn't say there was any uh, any spice of sorts from Greg. He, I guess, talked up what was a pretty solid book once again for Nine Radio with, um, with Ben Fordham on uh, 2GB delivering the station's best result of breakfast for over 10 years one thing which i guess is probably good to get out of the way i did ask him about the uh the alan jones question which he he was very eager to say that he wished him well but that was not on the cards coming back um i think i mean starting starting with the the melbourne market which i covered again greg was calling russ and ross that breakfast pairing uh extraordinary and i think he he was kind of eager to say the only reason we're not talking about this as, you know, the best result in 30 to 40 years is because of those results that we had in the same survey last year, which was, I think, approaching the 30% share, which is which is pretty big this time around. I think it was 24.3, um, if my memory serves me correct. Don't want to, you know, sell it short because we are on the podcast talking about this ratings, but the majority of this uh, in particular in Melbourne, there was only nine days of what was a pretty significant lump of a survey that was outside that lockdown period. So I think what we're really going to be looking towards is how the next ones play out, and in particular 4-9 with um, you know, these chats that I've been doing with Greg the last couple of months. We'll be looking to see if they can really hold up on that kind of form they've built up, and that has in the last couple of books it's really been building once again. What the focus of the write-up that I did on my interview with Greg was he really spoke about kicking things off and getting the day started right from breakfast. Uh, and we, we we did see rises in all of their breakfast markets, all seeing a bit of a rise. And that 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 kind of does, as he said, set you up for the day. But one, I guess, thing to note was that um, in in Sydney, it is a little bit different to in Melbourne. Melbourne, the share across the day really stayed above that kind of 15 to 20 mark, whereas in Sydney, they, they really haven't locked down that drive slot. And then you do th- see things kick back off again and kind of continue that way into the the breakfast slot. So I think it will be interesting to to note how that kind of talk back uh, trend does shift as we um, come into the final survey of the year. Yeah, which is really interesting because you mentioned the fact that this survey w- we still had lockdowns in play. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about how that that has affected the talkback side of radio and it's been quite uh, quite positive obviously we've seen that in the results again did greg say anything about what he expected uh, from the next book were there any sort of crystal ball gazing episodes there or was he too content with what he already had i mean i don't think so i think um i i, I he definitely as it's kind of been over the the last couple of months, he's been keen to play up how new that pairing, particularly here, has been. Uh, sorry, but I say here. I'm used to speaking to you from Melbourne. Um, the, the pairing of Russ the, and Ross. The in, pairing in of Melbourne. Russ and Ross in Melbourne, which is now around 18 months old. So, you know, in my kind of fresh mind, I don't consider that to be new. And I asked him about that, and he said, you know, you've got to put this into the context where you've got Ray Hadley, you've got. Ross, who's been on air for 30 years, and then even Ben Fordham, who spent 10 years on drive before them moving into that breakfast slot. He's, he was saying that um, Russell really is new, but you know, in Melbourne, 
Russell Howcroft. He is kind of Mr. Melbourne. Maybe he's that. new, but he's not new. Yeah, so he, he called him a, a seasoned media performer. Um, so I think you really have to take that into account. And I think what their plan is, is saying, you know, we couldn't be happier with the combination there. Um, and that's one to kind of uh, build the foundations on. I guess it'll be interesting to see if, if um, Russell does want to commit to the long game in radio. You know, he's got obviously so many commitments. Um, and then in Sydney, I think it's this it, 2GB has really benefited from these lockdowns. Um, I think Fordham really is finding his form. And I think traditionally I've found doing these interviews with Greg, he is a bit more hesitant as to not hesitant, but doesn't go into as much detail on Fordham as maybe the headlines would suggest because, you know, he is the focus ever since taking over that spot from Jones. Um, as we mentioned before, obviously we come out at a time where things will be quietening down, probably for talk as well. Um, and, you know, we're going to have people slowly going back to their morning commutes in the afternoon. We'll probably see maybe people switching over to those more commercial channels as they've got a bit of music. But I think also with an election cycle on the come up, that will probably um, be something that's going to play into their hands as well there. So let's move on to the Sydney market. Uh, and again, a fairly similar looking book. Uh, M, you covered off Sydney and spoke to a few of the the industry leaders there. What did you find? Much to what Cal has has mentioned already, obviously, that it's it's not just a swing back towards talkback. There's definitely, you know, it's remaining intact. Um, and obviously with Fordham, you know, the key highlight um, for Sydney's radio ratings, Survey 7, you know, he was number one in the bre- and had a breakfast audience share of 19.8%. I did speak to ARN's uh, Duncan Campbell and we both kind of agree that um, this Survey 7 was definitely impacted by lockdown, um, COVID lockdowns. And we do think that, you know, Survey 8 will see a a significant swing back towards, you know, those other FM uh, stations um, with Talkback kind of relatively, you know, remaining quite high, but we probably won't see those high numbers like uh, 2GB had this time around. I do think COVID did help with the results uh, and the news um, around obviously the New South Wales Premier, um, all the Gladys updates as well. New South Wales opening up after being in lockdowns, it was a very newsworthy survey. So I think that's why Fordham, um, you know, did get the result that he did. Duncan Campbell also mentioned that he you know, must be pretty impressed with those results. Um, I was a bit cheeky in my interview and asked him whether he thinks Alan Jones could potentially come back into radio um, after walking away from his Sky News gig. Um, And he did say, like, the thing about media, if you don't reappear very quickly, you tend to be forgotten. So I think that's possibly a risk there for him. Um, And if he was Alan Jones, he'd probably just quietly enjoy his retirement. Sounds like a few people potentially shutting the door on that one and stepping away. Uh, one more thing of note uh, in the Sydney market, if we look towards the the bottom uh, as well as, of course, uh, the Today FM breakfast show, uh, the morning crew with Husey, Ed and Erin, uh, still still struggling to get a foothold. Uh, Husey still not uh, in Sydney, in the Sydney market, still uh, recording for Melbourne. That's been on for around a year now, so it'll be – Interesting to see how long they, they continue with it. They've always said that they were going to give it time, time to bet in, time to uh, you know grow it, its audience. 
hasn't made a huge amount of uh, ground, but mm. um, they're continuing with it at the moment. So interesting to see whether that uh, changes at, least they didn't, uh, at all. They didn't drop any, I don't think. Certainly haven't <laughs> dropped any this time around. That's it. I also think the biggest topic from this survey is definitely um, SEA, Southern Cross Estereo's ratings, um, unfortunately weren't exactly what I'm sure they were hoping. Um, and we did speak to Carrot's Group Investment Director in Melbourne, Steph O'Donnell. She actually mentioned, you know, whilst Triple M did have a positive survey for them, um, you know, they kind of did underperform on their other brands against their audience aged 25 to 54 across majority of markets. Breakfast is especially a concern for Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane against this core audience too. I think it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, we do do these uh, interviews with the, the kind of the, the content leads with the, the major networks after most of the stations. And at the moment, um, SEA's Dave Cameron is not doing those interviews. I think that kind of comes down to something along the lines of, you know, how much is there to be gained after speaking to the media after every survey. And obviously SCA not been doing as well recently, um, in, in particular in Melbourne, not doing so flash as um, Steph O'Donnell uh, said, as M noted there. Um, in, you know, Fox, which is kind of uh, in Melbourne, I think they're down to a 5.5% um, share now and about 47 at breakfast. With that, um, I think it's uh, Nick, Fev, and Fifi at breakfast. Um, but yeah, you'd be hoping that is taking kind of going to be seeing a bit of a jump. Um, high profile soon. show, high profile yeah, um, for presenters. Sure. And you know, SCA, the podcast ranker numbers dropped this morning. They're doing much better in that. They're the second um, most listened to publisher in the country. So you'd um, on that listener platform, which is still, um, I guess, relatively f fresh. So you'd be hoping that they're maybe going to um, benefit from that uh, release of from lockdown. Yeah, I do get the feeling that uh, we did see a little bit of, as, as we've mentioned, it was, you know, not a particularly exciting survey in terms of big movers. I think in Melbourne there are about 12 different stations which experienced less than about half a, a full percentage point in movement. And when doing the kind of rounds for media buyers, I did struggle to really get um, – people to kind of shed some light on them. So maybe it shows that, you know, we are sandwiched in this seventh survey that was about a month after the delayed survey six, and we've only got about a month until survey, um, survey eight. So I think people may be switched off from this and also the, the, actual, um, the actual period in which we were reporting on overlapped with survey six. I think also speaking to a few people, um, a few kind of senior media figures, I think people kind of, are really, really looking forward, well, not looking forward, but anticipating that full switch to Radio 360 because, you know, with now that it kind of is in swing, I think there is a little bit of questions asked about the way that the ratings have been tallied up until now. Um, you know, when we do have the capability, obviously, that is coming in now to really get a more accurate reading. Moving along, we're going to be talking about the brand campaigns that are dropping for Christmas coming up shortly. With the end of the year fast approaching, a significant amount of brands are launching Christmas campaigns in the lead up to post-lockdown festivities. Uh, this is traditionally one of the busiest times of the year for advertisers with competition and demand up, but it's significantly changed environment 
with consumer spend expected to increase and delays on the delivery front predicted. So far, we've seen Maya, Michael Hill Jewelers, Kmart, Kitchen Warehouse, Big W, Best and Less, BWS, Disney, Coles, Woolies, Australia Post. Anna, how long does that list go for? You've got two more. IGA and vicinity. There Perfect. We go. All launching campaigns with a number of those dropping this week. Uh, now, you actually did speak to a, a few of those people, not all of them, thankfully, because that would have been a rather long conversation, but you've spoken to a few of the people in the industry uh, about the Christmas campaigns dropping, the challenges and the opportunities when it comes to Christmas 2021, which is probably going to be a little bit different to the Christmases we've seen before. What are you hearing, Anna? The important thing to keep in mind with this Christmas, as you say, it is different, but it is also the second Christmas advertising period that people have had to work during, you know. So some of the some of the things are actually not too different in that, um, you know, throughout the past two years, people have had to deal with production difficulties. They've had to deal with, um, you know, things like square meter rules they've had to deal with getting licenses for people to be on sets and things like that so in a way it's not that different from last year's um but you know there are some some differences like for example i did speak to cole cmo lisa ronson about their um ad via ddb um and she said that it actually this Christmas, the difference between this Christmas and last Christmas, that it actually felt like it was the right time to joke about some of the COVID staples. You know, for example, in in that ad, they have a a visual joke where someone is being gifted a toilet paper. Um, obviously, hilarious. Know. Yeah, <laughs> really. You know, jokes are funnier if you explain them. Uh, so, so um, you know, so I think that's the kind of change i suppose in terms of the because creative. i guess the the similarities if we if we look at the similarities and differences melbourne in particular yeah uh, had the the issues with lockdown long lockdown last year of course it had a, a longer a long-ish lockdown this year but sydney yeah. did as well now we're kind of coming out of that together difference of course last year was we didn't have the vaccine like we do now Northern Beaches went into lockdown, you know, around Christmas as well. So the lead up last year and the lead up this year are similar to an extent, but this year we've got the the vaccine yeah. as the, you know, yeah. the, the great freedom pr- provider, if you the will. The gift that keeps giving. The gift that keeps I'm, giving. Um, I mean, on, on COVID and, and being, uh, on COVID and the Christmas ads though, the thing that is a quite interesting kind of trend and differentiator between the various ones that we've seen so far is that whether or not they have given a nod to COVID or not, because, you know, uh, Coles, Woolworths and the Kitchen Warehouse ad campaign, they all had, they all included the same sort of shot where it was, they're sitting down for a meal and there's someone video calling in. because they, The implication being border closures, they can't make it. Um, but there are some that were a sort of normal times. I think ad. The, one that I kind of picked up on was the IGA one. And, you know, it's kind of, focused around the you know the community supermarket yeah everyone mm-hmm. knows each other they're all wearing masks so then you see shane jacobson behind the deli counter without a mask on <laughs> and i'm just thinking shane you got a mask up mate or you i know. think he's meant to be sort of in that one i think he's meant to be a bit like a ghost because he's sort of no one acknowledges his presence he's just sort of there 
Well, moving on from the ghost of Shane Jacobson past. No, I feel like we could um, discuss this for another five minutes. I, I'm going to try not to. But, uh, look, the point on that, though, which, which is interesting, I think we have seen a, a variety of styles of executions yeah. in, in these campaigns. So whether you're looking at some of the funnier ones um, like like Australia Post and, and the singing letterboxes, which, hey, if we get these delivery uh, delays, Maybe they will be empty and they can sing. Who knows? Um, we've got the more emotive ones as well, like like Coles, which kind of it might not make you well up, but it but it makes you feel something. Um, we, we've got some pretty odd ones. The vicinity one was interesting, but I guess the the, the point of, of all that, uh, Anna, again, you know, having spoken to to the market a bit, what, yeah. what are the creatives feeling at the moment is the best way to cut through to to consumers are, are they expecting like a big celebration of crazy creativity because hey we're all out of lockdown and wild times mm. freedom and all of this sort of stuff or is it going to be a bit more subdued um you know are, are we not getting too excited just yet um i think from the people i've been talking to i feel like the general sentiment is like Let's just finish this year. It's I think fatigue has set in and it's let's finish this year. Next year is going to be massive. There's going to be a lot of moves, shifts, staff-wise, account-wise. Um, so I think it's more about finishing the year out than it is about finishing the year out with a bang. Uh, and we've had some pretty interesting op-eds around the idea of, of um, campaigns uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, industry leaders like uh, Hard Hats, Dan Monheit, Finishers Ben Willey. Uh, Cal, you've been having a look through those and, and speaking to them as, as well. Uh, what have the thoughts been? Yeah, well, it, um, I guess in a little bit of a contrast to maybe what Anna has just said, I think... Um, Hold on, the advertising industry not agreeing with each other? <laughs> you're, you're kidding. Well, the, I, I think this is more um, based on consumer spend rather than... They, the, both, both of them have come up with, um, well, I don't know if they are original thought holders of these ideas but um dan had a uh, an op-ed which he spoke about reward spending um which goes into i i believe it was called the licensing effect which is you know you do a tough workout and you kind of reward yourself with a with a cookie or a chocolate bar or something and that is something that, you know gone through this tough time maybe time to go out and reward yourself and then on the other side ben um had a really interesting article on revenge spending which he also not to plug another podcast, but he uh, was interviewed on Fear and Greed regarding the um, regarding that uh, kind of concept. And I think it's really interesting that he noted one number that stood out to me was that ABS pointed out that Australians have saved $230 billion this year. So uh, I guess everyone's coming out with a bit of extra money in their pocket from not really going out, spending their money on that extra coffee or um, the, the usual daycare. You'll be able to talk about that demo. but. Um, yeah, I mean, we all already saw those lines like uh, the nights where Melbourne and Sydney both came out of lockdown. We had midnight queues outside Kmart, which personally perplexed me. But um, yeah, I think I think people have got the the kind of the the will to spend as we come towards the end of this year. Coming up next, I'll be chatting to car experts Elbows Falar. Last weekend, I wrote about the automotive media sector in Best of the Week, largely based on news coming out of one of the newest players in market, Car Expert. 
Car Expert is founded by the same crew that created Car Advice, which was sold to Nine in 2018. Correct me if I'm wrong, 2018, Al Wars? Uh, 2016 started and 2018 ended. 2018 ended. There we go. Uh, so I've pretty much given it away because joining me on the podcast today is one of those founders, uh, Al Wars Falar. Al Wars, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. It's uh, great to be here. Look, I'd like to start, I guess, with the obvious question of um, why are you going again? That was uh, that was a big thing to do with Car Advice, good, successful media company, big sale at the end. What gives you that energy to to go again with, with Car Expert and with the same group of the core group of people as well? Look, um, it's it's a very good question, and I often ask myself the same question sometimes. But um, to be perfectly frank, I um, we actually love the automotive space. Uh, myself, Paul, and Tony, uh, we genuinely like we're we're huge car enthusiasts, and not in a sense of like you know people with uh, modified cars or things like that. We actually just love the automotive industry. We love the technology. We love all the things that come out. We love being involved in it, and we love helping new car buyers. Uh, pick the right car, you know. So that that's genuinely something we love doing. Um, outside of that, you know, we spent, as you said, um, you know, twelve, thirteen years building what became the largest new car website in Australia in Car Advice, you know. And and I can tell you, and you summed it up quite well uh, in your in your uh, email newsletter that went out. It actually hurt. Uh, it did hurt when uh, they started talking about closing it down. And you know, I, I was talking to my wife. Uh, and a few of my friends who were in construction and they were saying, you know, it's so nice to drive around Brisbane and, you know, I could show my kids that's the building I built and that's the, you know, that's the, I don't know, warehouse that we developed and and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I, for me right now, my kids, I've got a 10 and a 7-year-old. Uh, I've got literally nothing to show for my entire 20s uh, of what I was doing because the website that I built and sold no longer exists. And it's really weird that that could happen. Like, I, I know it sounds bizarre, but... To live in a world where you could spend so long to build an asset that was worth so much to someone and then for it to no longer exist, that concept really didn't sit right with me. And I think it didn't sit right with a lot of other people as well because we felt like we'd built this amazing business and this amazing brand uh, with so much trust, so much audience um, and so much heritage, you know, despite what may have been said otherwise. It had a lot of good heritage. And for it to be just dismissed out of hand because of some poor survey that polled people that would pick Kodak over TikTok in terms of brand recognition um, really didn't resonate with us. And look, we um, I was hoping to take a year off, but I took precisely 24 hours, and I think even less, um, before I started again. And uh, man, I'm glad I did. Hey, like I, um, I, I genuinely love what we're doing and I love what I'm doing. Um, I would have probably preferred to have a little bit of a break in the middle, but uh, my wife always says that I probably couldn't. I would have gone mad. So here but I am. Surely car expert isn't it's not just fueled by i, I guess a, a, a motivation to to build something up again right no absolutely not i mean we wanted to go back to having fun again you know we wanted to go back to creating a business that was following our passion uh, which is how we built car advice you know which was you know writing about cars in a way that we love doing having control of a business and its direction having control of its content um, and also you know with the experience centers um, which we can talk about at some point doing something totally different, you know, something in the real world, something that we learned a lot from at Car Advice. And also, you know, when I left, um, I probably can't give away specifics, but I mean, the ads and the amount of ads that we had in Car Advice was getting a little bit out of hand. And one of the things we love to do, again, was to create a car website that was, when Car Advice was started, it had no ads. 
it literally had no ads. And, you know, over time, it started to have ads. And at the time, those display ads worked because it was a different time on the internet. You know, people actually clicked on display ads. These days, you know, all the data that we had showed that most of the clicks on display ads are accidental um, and that they're actually quite intrusive to the uh, to the environment in which someone's reading a review about a car. If you've got ads for the same car company really massively all over the review, it actually sort of detracts from that review itself and, and, and the trust that review has. Um, and yeah, we, we started Car Expert with no ads, uh, no display ads anyway. And uh, we have really good contextual links in there um, that have a huge amount of click-through compared to display ads. And they just work because they make sense. If you're reading a review of a Hyundai i30 and there's a link that says, you know, are you interested in booking a test drive? You'll probably click on it because if you're interested in booking a test drive, you're going to click on it. But if there's a display ad that's just running around and, you know, cars flying around and stuff like that, it just becomes annoying. Oh, well, that's that's what we found anyway. And and so yeah. far to date, you know, we've, we've proven that works quite well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and I'll touch on that a, a bit towards the, the end as well in terms of car expert and the business model and, and the strategy moving forward. Uh, I guess one of the things that, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the, the best of the week piece that, that I did uh, quite recently was the, the announcement that uh, you had partnered with Seven West Media and that there was an investment uh, from Seven West Media. So I, I guess I'd like to touch on that uh, as well at the moment, because obviously, you know, Previously, it was Car Advice and Nine, and now you're Car Expert with Seven West Media in that partnership. Can you tell us a bit more detail about that partnership and that investment? Because as I understand it, there's investment as well from Seven in this. There is. There is a sizable investment uh, from Seven in this. And can the, you tell us how sizable? Uh, I probably can't, no, but it's definitely in the millions. Um, so it's sure. not like it, it's in the many millions. Um, so sure. it, it is a sizable investment. And, and the reason why I can't give you a precise figure is because it might get a lot bigger. Um, sure. So who knows, right? At, at, at the moment, it's not a majority stake and it most likely won't be a majority stake ever, um, at, at least unless it's a whole takeout, which I, I don't think that's Seven's uh, uh, modus of operandum. So uh, look, it's a huge deal for us to have someone like Seven on board. I, I can tell you, that in the month or so that now we've been sort of in that process with Seven and part of the group, we've had more integration of Car Expert into Seven's asset than we had in the first two years and the Car Advice with Nine. Um, it's a very different uh, company, genuinely. I'm not, I'm not saying that just because we partner with them now, but it, it's they they reached out to us to integrate us into their uh, CM, the new CMS across the West, across Perth now, across Seven News. Like all this stuff is coming and. You know, I can tell you from experience, it took us a lot of fighting to get anything like that happening um, at Nine. And I, and I think the, the reason was that when we sold the first batch of Nine to Nine at Car Advice, we obviously, it was an earnout, right? So uh, we had a two-year earnout, and obviously the more money we made, the more they had to pay us at the end. So perhaps, uh, you know, they, they weren't as willing to help um, as, they, as Seven is now because I guess for Seven, the investment in our company is to see it grow and see its value grow. You know, like they had a... They had a reasonable investment in Airtasker, which which went public, um, and, I, and I guess they sort of look at their investments in the same fashion. And you know, they want us to grow, they want us to succeed. And uh, I mean, the amount of people that have reached out from seven uh, on different departments, from tech to editorial to you know, we're in the paper, we're in we're in their websites, we're all over the place, and we haven't had to do anything. That just happened, and I and I'm genuinely shocked. <laughs> like I actually didn't think that would happen. I, I thought it'd be really slow and cumbersome and very corporate. And I kind of feel like that business is a little bit different. Like I, I feel like, you know what it is? I feel like we we resonate with them because we're both really hungry. We've got someone to beat. 
um, and we want to get up every morning and we've got a target. Like when you when you're leading, I can tell you that last maybe six months of car advice when we were the biggest and like you know everyone treated us like gods from the industry perspective. I guess my motivation to do the best job I could every day was slightly lower <laughs> um, because you know I guess you're not as hungry, right? Like it's just a fact of life when you're when you're in that position. You haven't got much left to prove. And I guess, you know, going back to your original question as to why I left and started again, I really did miss the feeling of fighting. I love I love being the underdog, man. I, I love getting up in the morning and having targets for this month that we need to meet from, you know, from revenue, from traffic. Like I just like to challenge myself um, and all the team that came over, you know, every single one of our staff that came over from Car Advice. And I mean, there is, we've got 22 full-time staff. And I think except for two of them, every single other person is from Car Advice. Yeah, right. Um, so- you also talked about the fact that it's a data partnership uh, as well, and that kind of came out before the announcement of the investment. Yeah. Um, can you give us a bit more detail on what that data partnership uh, entails uh, and how you'll be working with, with SWM on it? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, whether you want to uh, talk figures or not, um, our audience at the moment is enormous, right? Like, you know, on, on analytics, we're around 1.3 mil. On similar web, around 1.6 mil Australian. Um, the absolute majority of that traffic comes from Google. When people Google a car, like if you listen to this podcast, go Google, go Google Toyota RAV4, go Google Hyundai Tucson, Hyundai i30. We are on the first page. We're really high up there. That's where we get the majority of our traffic. And that auto intender audience, like no one is Googling a uh, Toyota RAV4 for fun. Even car enthusiasts don't Google Toyota RAV4 for fun. The only people that are Googling cars like that are people that are in market to buy them. And, you know, for us to be able to get that audience to car expert and then have that data of who these people are and be able to extend it across someone like Seven's network. Um, you know, this this is a this is an auto intender who was looking at, you know, a car in the last week. And you know, that could be targeted so nicely across multiple different areas on Seven. Um so the data partnership is quite uh, rich there um, you know we can also use their ID system um, that Seven's got uh, th- there's a lot of opportunity there we probably can't really discuss it too much in detail yet but I, I can tell you there's a there's a lot of work happening uh, yeah, in, right. in that department so I'm, we're, we're pretty excited about it um, it also benefits us because obviously you know their audience is uh, humongously bigger than ours and so for us to be able to also target the people that came to our site later on to perhaps bring them back or or to sort of continue their journey is also really beneficial. It's, it's a win-win. You, you've kind of answered this uh, just before really briefly, but but I'll, I'll ask it again just for clarity. Anyway. Uh, Seven West Media, did, did they sort of approach you uh, for for the partnership or, or did you go to them? How did this whole thing all, all evolve? Because I guess it took the, the industry a bit by surprise that, that you were announced um, in their upfront as, as a data partner. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. I mean, I think the the intro would have happened um, at some point along the way. I'm pretty sure we actually reached out to them before we even had a website, and they kindly told us to uh, come back at a later point in time, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, uh, but, you know, like I've, the people that I've dealt with at Seven are, are really like, you know, they're kind of go-getters, you know. They, they really saw the value in this. Like, let's be fair. If you look out in the market right now, what other order sites are there? for someone like Seven to partner with, right? Like you've got obviously Drive, which is owned by Nine. You've got Car Sales, which is owned Juggernaut. You've got Cars Guide, which is owned by, I don't know who these days, eBay or Gumtree or someone. Um, and that's kind of it. Like you've, you've got Witch Car, which is our media, but, you know, they're a slightly different market, enthusiast market, and they're doing a great job on their own. But um, there's no one else and no one else with our audience and no one else with our, I guess, expertise. So, and I suppose from our perspective, if we were to go out there and look at which media 
company are we going to partner with? I mean, who would you partner with? You're not going to partner with nine. As, as ironic as that would have been, um, I don't think that was ever going to happen again. Um, Ten, I, I don't think are in a position. News Corp, I personally probably, uh, you know, I'm, I won't explore that comment much further, but that wasn't something that I was willing to look at. Um, so that kind of just left seven. You know what I mean? And and they're doing a really good job. They, they are really into their sort of motorsport. Um, you know, obviously uh, the, the CEO, they used to be the former CEO of Supercars. Um, so they, they obviously get cars. They're a car, you know, friendly company. And um, yeah, I guess the conversation started and we both realized that um, there's a huge opportunity here for them. And automotive, as, as you correctly pointed out, is the second largest category spend online. Um, and they didn't have a stake in any media partner that was in automotive. So for them, it's a good deal. And for us, it's a great deal. Yeah, so let's touch on that because you mentioned some of the competitors there uh, and, and there are some big competitors there, you know, drive, of course, uh, car sales, as you mentioned. Uh, you're, the, I guess, the upstart in, in all that. And also then, as you, you mentioned, something that, I, again, I, I mentioned in Best of the Week is the SMI figures in, indicate that the automotive spend is, is second only behind retail. So there's a lot of spend there, but there's a lot of competitors. Uh, the first question around that would be, is there enough spend to keep all those competitors healthy? Or at some stage, do you expect to see uh, winners and losers out of the, the group that's currently there? Uh, look, it's a good question. Um, for us, uh, I guess our whole business model is based around providing tangible value to OEMs. So, you know, we have we have in-car market auto intenders that come to our website via Google. We have links that go back to the OEM website where they either book a test drive or get connected to a dealer and, you know, end up uh, buying a car. Uh, that's the value we provide. And so far, everyone that's worked with us has seen that value and continues to work with us. Now, what our competitors do or don't do, um, obviously, I'm across some of them, um, having been there before, um, but it's a bit, bit dissimilar to that. You know, they're, I, I feel like perhaps they're, you know, they're doing the display ad model where it's a CPM or just, you know, just massive amounts of inventory where you just put ads on and hope for the best. And, and also, I guess the content that we do is very different to them. You know, we are very highly focused on just new car content. We don't have 15 years of old car catalog. I think one thing that I remember at Car Advice days, a lot of that traffic, in fact, I won't say exactly how much, but a tremendous amount of their traffic was coming from content that was more than, you know, 12 months old. So these cars were old cars. You know, we don't have that. We're a new business. The fact that our traffic is so close to drives with content that's less than 18 months old, it kind of goes to show you that, you know, we probably likely have a larger new car audience than most of our competitors. But to answer your question, I, I think there's enough room. I, I actually think, you know, there's plenty of great people that drive. A lot of them we can we would consider our friends. There's, you know, amazing people at Cars Guide, uh, people that I've worked with at Car Advice, and same with car sales, man. Like, these people are not dumb. They're not in that position because uh, they don't know what they're doing. Th- those businesses have survived for many years because of the people that have been there. And, and I think... That's what drives us, you know, as competitors, it drives us to do better. But I, I personally think the current competitor set that's out there with, you know, which car, cars, guys, drive and us, I think there's plenty of room for us to survive. I really do. Now, it leads me to my, my second question we, we, around that, we, which is, I guess, a bit more based on the personalities in the automotive media sector anyway. In the background research that I was doing for that uh, Saturday email, there seems to be a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of emotion, if you will, a fair bit of um, debate, heat within the industry. Uh, there's 
a lot of people who who love it and have respect for the competitors out there. But there's also seems to be an equal amount of people who are, are trying to blow up uh, other parts of, of of the industry and and competitors and, and are quite hard about. It. I'm not going to name names or, or anything like that. But it seems like a, a fairly heated at times industry sector. How do you see the automotive media sector? I mean, you've also come out with some pretty, um, I I guess, pointed uh, remarks, uh, particularly uh, uh, about drive and car advice and and the the merge there. But um, how do you see those players in in the area and and how they're dealing with each other? Look, I I think the... You're probably right. There's certainly a lot of heat and uh, and discussions. And I think the first thing to realize is that we all know each other quite well. <laughs> Most of us have worked uh, at the same place or together or something at some point, right? So I think obviously with people that have known each other for decades, those sort of uh, heated conversations do take place. I think ultimately, if you really got down to the crux of it, we all have an enormous amount of respect for each other because we're all there fighting and we all know that the other person, uh, if, if we if we didn't have respect for each other, then we probably wouldn't be talking about it. Let's put it that way, right? So you don't really talk about your competitors if you don't think they're competitors. So uh, that, that's the first thing. I, I think I think secondly for me, um, the, the industry is, is a, quite a small place. It's quite fractured. Um, it's going through this massive revolution, if you will, both from the dealer perspective, which a lot of car companies are now looking to get rid of and go to the agency model. And also, you know, from a media perspective, like, Back when I started Car Advice, there was like 15 car websites, man. Like there were so many of them and the industry was happy to just invite everybody along and and we all sort of just did it and hoped for the best because their budgets were so different. These days, like they don't have budgets. Car companies don't have budgets like that. You know, they invite like three or four people along to events and spend with three or four uh, media companies. So I guess it is competitive as a result of that as well. Um, but as I said before, man, ultimately for me, I, I think there's plenty of room for all of us. Um, my... I guess outspokenness comes down to the fact that, you know, as I said to you at the beginning of this, uh, we all felt a great amount of sadness at the closure of something that we had very much devoted, well, for me personally, a a great majority of my adult life to. Um, And that does hurt. And, uh, you know, but retrospectively, that closure is also our biggest opportunity at Car Expert. Like without car advice disappearing, I don't think we would be in the position we are today. And just just to be perfectly frank, I, I don't believe in luck. I believe you've got to work really hard and put yourself in a position where if an opportunity shows up, you're there to take advantage of it. And, and uh, you know, for us, fortunately, um, we have inherited an enormous amount of traffic post car advice's closure. And I mean, it's just, you could go look it up for yourself. It's, it's just it's just a fact, right? Our SEO has gone through the roof as a result. Um, I mean, I built car advice's SEO. I, I literally spent the first 10 years of my life building car advice's SEO. I know exactly how good it was. And I'm doing the same here. Like that that was my skill set. That, that's That's sort of what, what I contributed to that business from day one. And that's where all that traffic came from. So I actually was a little bit gobsmacked by its disappearance. Again, I'm, you know, I've, I've talked about it enough, um, uh, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, that 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 change in the landscape um, has been the greatest thing that's happened to Car Expert as a business, to put it bluntly. And did you ever, did you ever consider just, I, I guess, you know, the, the crude quote of taking the money and running um, you know, never bothering again with another uh, automotive media business anyway, just sort of closing the door on that chapter? Um, I, I suspect the people that paid us that money were hoping for that, uh, I suspect. Um, certainly because, you know, a lot of people have asked me, how did you manage to leave and start a competitor the next day? And that's a long story that 
probably will take the rest of this six podcast episodes to chat about. And um, I mean, the fact of the matter is we're here and we've started and all the staff have come over. Um, it was never about money. I think that's the bit that people uh, sometimes misunderstand. Look, it's it's very nice to get a very large check um, and buy lots of cars, which is certainly what I've done um, because I love cars, you know, but ultimately for me, I loved what I did at Car Advice. I genuinely, I woke up every day and I was excited to work. And towards the end of my time there and, and the nine, I, I wasn't excited to work. And it sort of, and I knew what was coming and I knew that Car Advice was on the outer and, and you know, I, I wanted to be excited to work again. I wanted to wake up and I wanted to go out there fighting and, and fight for a cause. And yeah, that's that's what we're out here for, man. Every one of those guys that left Car Advice can't work for us took a pay cut. Every single person took a pay cut um, to come over to Car Expert. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the, our culture and our attitude and what we're setting out to do, then I guess nothing else will. But yeah, I mean, to to go from a really safe, secure job at a at Australia's largest media company to a startup that may or may not work, that at the time didn't even have a fucking website. Uh, there's my first swear word. Um, <laughs> 21 minutes in, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, you know, to make that risk for, for a lot of these people who have mortgages and kids, like that's that's huge, man. I was actually almost surprised that they came over, but they did. They all came over one at a time. And I mean, we, our culture is awesome, man. Like I, I, I love, you know, we just had a team meeting prior to this and uh, everyone's just thrilled. Like everyone's just so excited. Like the, it's a shame that we can't all get together um, under the current conditions, but like, yeah, it, it's, it's energizing. And I, and I love that, man. That's what I do. It. It's, it's not about the money. It's never been about the money. Um, it's nice to get it at the end, but if, if you actually love what you do and, and we all love what we do, then you know, that, that success and that financial reward will at, in its own time come. I'm going to ask you one more question about the past before we go into the, the strategy for, for Car Expert coming up. Uh, got to touch on the, on the fact that, that quite recently, uh, Andrew Dalton, the, the CEO, uh, departed, uh, but was still on the board uh, or is still on the board. And there was a, a, a little bit of conjecture in the industry about uh, what the actual situation was there. But can you... Uh, can you clear that up for us? What's the deal with Andrew now? How is he still involved? Is he still involved uh, and all of that? Yeah, mate. I mean, I, I talk to Andrew three, four times a week. Um, look, I, I think there was some personal reasons there that I don't necessarily want to go into uh, in Andrew's you know, um, situation that led to that departure. He, he's still very much a part of the business. He's still very much on the board. Um, I mean, yeah, as I said, his, his value and his, and his uh, contribution to the business is still very much... Uh, available to us um we're on the hunt for a new ceo um i mean at the moment i'm running uh the operation with the executive committee um that's been working quite well um whether i continue to do that or not uh remains to be seen um unless we find an amazing ceo i think that would be the uh uh for the foreseeable future that'll be the outcome but you know i I think if you look at our business uh we always envisioned from day dot that we would have three phases right we would have a startup phase where we're establishing we're growing and we're getting to a point where we're an established entity. And then, you know, it's all about, I, I, I guess, growing, but also becoming a proper traditional business with process and procedures, right? And we always knew that there was almost phases for this. And those phases require different people, right? So we're, we're at a different phase now in our business. Um, and that phase requires perhaps another person to come in and get this get this business ready for a listing. Um, and that's something that very, very early on, Andrew and I had discussed uh, was likely not going to be him, and he was well and truly aware of it. Um, so it, it's, it didn't, you know, it might have come as a shock to the industry, perhaps, I'm not really sure, but it certainly didn't come as a shock to anyone internally. And so let's talk about 
the strategy now. You've done some interesting things, in, including the experience centers, which you, you've mentioned before, essentially setting up shop in mainstream locations to discuss cars and, and models with people walking by, a kind of neutral dealership in a, in a sense. Obviously, you weren't actually selling those cars yourself, but there, there's been some interesting integrations there. Uh, you've obviously touched on uh, your revenue model uh, in terms of the, the display ad situation as well. Uh, but what's the strategy for Car Expert moving forward? What new things are you going to be trying? What should we expect to, from you guys over the next, say, six to 12 months? Yeah. So, I mean, we've got three pillars to our business, I suppose, right? Um, obviously, the first ones are our digital uh, the, the website. Um, so that's getting a full revamp. We're creating all these uh, knowledge centers. Um, we've got a deal with a data partner that, are, that I won't really reveal yet um, that gives us access to actual transactional prices of cars. Um, you know, we're bringing that to market. We're all about consumer first, right? That, that's probably going to um, ruffle some feathers in the industry where we're, again, being so transparent in what people are actually paying for cars rather than what is advertised. Um that's a that's an industry first. That data has never been seen by the public. Um, we've got an exclusivity deal on that um, to bring that to market. That again, that's part of our ethos of consumer first transparency. So you'll see that on the website in the next uh, couple of months. Uh, we're launching our experience centers again post COVID. Uh, first one we've actually got two final locations uh, in Melbourne. We're going to pick one in the next couple of weeks and start building that up again. Um, it'll be amazing. It, it's it's going to be a huge thing for us to restart that process. And hopefully, if there are no more lockdowns, it'll be a continued uh, progression of rollouts. Um, so, you know, we'll do Melbourne uh, and then we'll follow it up with Sydney and then Brisbane um, and we'll continue from there. Uh, look, the third part of our uh, business is actually data. Um, I know everyone says that, um, but but for us, you know, we've got such a humongous audience of new car buyers um, and with the ability to have a retail real-world environment whereby they can they can do their research on our website and then actually come and see these things in real life and talk to people that aren't trying to sell them anything. Because I think it's important to point out that we don't sell cars. Like we are a very OEM and dealer-friendly model whereby, you know, we, we just help people choose the right car. We have no vested interest in what car they pick. Ultimately, you know, everyone that was in the first experience center paid the same amount of money to be there. So we couldn't care less what car you chose. In fact, there were occasions where we recommend a car that wasn't even there because for that person, that was the right car. Like, you know what I mean? If you can't, in this day and age, you know, you've got to be honest with your audience and you've got to be honest with the consumer because they're not stupid. They're going to work it out. You know, a lot of people would walk in and they were so petrified in that experience center. And I, and I did a fair few days there. They would walk in and they were so scared that we were going to sell them a car. And, and, you know, we actually retrained our staff where the opening line was, welcome to Car Expert Experience Center, we don't sell cars. And then they were like, oh, what the fuck do you do then? You know, like, and it's like, well, we, we've got all these cars here and the manufacturers have paid for them to be here for you to come and experience them in a brand agnostic environment where no one's pushing anything onto you. And they're like, oh, that's really weird. And they're like, yeah, it's new, isn't it? It's an interesting concept. And they're like, that's, I really like that. Can I go and sit in them? It's like, yeah, I can go sit in them. You can actually drive them. And they would go and sit in them and then they would go from car to car and they go, oh, can I drive this? Yeah, you can go drive that. And <laughs> you know what we found was that the experience center proved to be an equalizer. So we had challenger brands in there that, you know, brands like Kia, brands like um, Renault, that some of these shoppers would come in saying, I'm looking to buy a Toyota. And we'd be like, okay, that's cool. And that Toyota, one of the brands that didn't want to be there, and for obvious reasons, because they've got such a huge amount of brand awareness that most people think of Toyota first anyway, right? So I can kind of understand why they didn't want to be there. 
But people come in and go, I want to, I want to buy a RAV4. And they say, oh, we don't, haven't got one of those. That's a great car. However, while you're here, why don't you look at these three cars? Why don't you look at those two cars? And they would go, I'd, I'd never consider buying a Kia or a Renault. And they'd be like, okay, that's cool. Why don't you go sit in it and have a look and see what you get for 10 grand less than a Toyota? They'd come back and go, that's not bad, hey? It's like, yeah, why don't you go take it for a drive? And they'd go take it for a drive. And they would come back and it would be like, it would be like a different person. You're like, oh, I, I, I never thought I'd consider this, but you know, I'm, I'm really considering. We had the Renault dealer down the road initially so hesitant to be involved with this because he thought that, I don't know, we were going to talk people out of buying a Renault. By the end of it, he was selling, he was sending people from his dealership to us because he realized we were a better sales team than he was. Because we would tell the, this person who was thinking about buying a Renault that it's okay to buy a Renault. You know what I mean? That it's okay, mm. you're not making the wrong choice. And we have no vested interest in this. And it's true, there's, obviously, there's nothing wrong with buying a Renault. But people are so scared of making a choice outside of the obvious OEMs that the Experience Center really proved to be an amazing model for challenger brands. And, and I think, um, or basically brands that aren't Toyota. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, even brands like Ford and Isuzu benefited massively by being in there against shopping against Hilux. So, look, it was, it was amazing. It was such a good experience. We learned a lot. There was a lot to learn there. We certainly made a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, we had 30,000 people through the first Experience Center. Um, but, yeah, we, the second one's going to take all those learnings and all those pain points. And uh, hopefully we learn more and then every, every iteration will get better until we get to a point where we can roll it out nationally. That's the aim. So speaking of choice, and a, a good question probably to, to wind up on is one of the choices that you've spoken about most recently is a potential choice uh, to go down the route of an IPO. Uh, at some stage in, in the future. And you'd mentioned that you were thinking about that uh, with car advice back in the day uh, as well now. Uh, journalists love uh, uh, when companies are public because obviously we, we get to see a, a bit more of the, the inner workings. And, <laughs> everything. Uh, everything, <laughs> uh, essentially. Uh, so there are positives and negatives to that. Uh, how serious are you about the IPO route? Is this going to happen for, for car experts? Oh, absolutely, mate. I mean, um, for us, we have a date in mind um, and we're working backwards from there. So that's, I guess, if you're asking about how serious, that's how serious, right? So we've got a long way to go. Like, you know, it's 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 sort of still some time away. Nonetheless, um, that's the goal. And if you don't have that goal, you'll never get there. So, I, I, you know, we learned a lesson at Car Advice. Car Advice sale to nine was great. You know, like it was it was a great learning experience for us. Um, could we have gone public? Absolutely. Could we have got better valuation? almost guaranteed. Um, nonetheless, like you said, there's also disadvantages with being a publicly listed company. And, and and I think we also took those into consideration when we did that deal with Nine. But we, we kind of look at Car Expert and especially with the experience centers, with the data, um, with our audience, with the way we're doing things so differently. We're not really a media company. Like what media company has stores? You know, you know what, what media company is doing the level of data that we're doing? You know, definitely not an automotive, maybe for car sales. Um, so we kind of look at ourselves as we're not we're not a publisher like that's a that's a poor description. And Car Advice probably was a publisher. It had the potential to do all the things that Car Expert is doing, but I think that would have required it to stay independent. And look, as I said, you, you live, you learn, right? So to answer your question, we're one hundred percent heading down the path of an IPO. Do you reckon a year's time, two years' time, any sort of vague indication of the time frame? Look, I I, th- I think it's closer to two. I think, I mean, depending on, again, COVID, uh, depending on car shortages, uh, depending on a few external factors that we can't necessarily, like if there was no COVID last year, our Sydney Experience Center would have continued. We would have learned a lot more. We would have rolled out Melbourne. If there was no car shortages. It would have been like, it's like, I mean, October was the worst month for new car sales in 20 years. Like to put that in perspective as a startup that's just gaining traction and, and gaining revenue, 
that obviously hurts, right? So, and I mean, it hurts the whole industry, but it hurts us too. Um, so we're in a really, really tough market, but everything is going to, you know, change around once uh, people start traveling again, the demand for cars stabilizes and the supply of cars increases, and then the marketing budgets will have to come back. And that's where businesses like ours that can deliver actual results for OEMs will hopefully benefit the greatest. Albus Pilar from Car Export, thank you for joining us on the Mumbrella Cast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this week. Emma, Anna, Cal, thank you so much for joining me in studio. We'll be back again same time next week. Thank you. Here's Demo. Bye.